0: I am really excited for you guys to hear what my friend Christy has to say tonight, and I just wanted to remind us all why we do this series. Um, You know our mission statement is to help you guys build independent faith, and I think a really important way to do that is for you to hear how people live out their faith day to day um, through different seasons of life, um, through really good seasons, and through really hard seasons. So that's why we do this series every year, so you can just hear from different people of what their faith looks like, how they came to know Jesus and follow him, and how Have they kept that through different seasons of their life? So, can we just like thank Christy and welcome her? (laughs) I love you. Okay. Okay. Take it away. All right. Thanks, everybody. Well, like Christina said, my name is Christy Saunas. I'm a child of God and I'm incredibly blessed. Starting with five, four of my greatest blessings. There should be a picture coming. There's my family. Um, I've been married to Aaron for 27 years. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Our oldest son is Jack. He's on the right, he's 23, and he graduated from the University of Iowa with a degree in finance. He lives and works in Chicago. Um, Our middle son is next to him, that's Drew. He's 20 years old. He's at Iowa State, so we're a house divided, yeah. He's studying civil engineering there, but this semester he's in Spain, so I get to go see him next month. I'm pretty pumped about that. Um, There's me, there's Aaron, and then our youngest is Chase, and he's 15, and he's in ninth grade at Holmes Junior High. We've lived in Cedar Falls for 17 years. My husband's a financial advisor with Ameriprise Financial Services. You don't need to think about that for several years. And I've been a stay-at-home mom for the last 23 years, since Jack was born. I've loved every minute of that. And um, I spend my time volunteering at my church. We go to Nazareth Lutheran Church, love it there. I'm on various committees and things there and Bible study. Um, I love spending time with my friends and my family. And most every morning, you'll find me at the gym doing CrossFit with my buddies um, here in Cedar Falls. And guys, this is crazy, but I will be 50 years old next month. (laughs) Yeah, that's half a century. And so I'm trying to come to terms with that. And uh, some days it's easier than others. Anyway, I grew up on a farm near Rhinebeck, Iowa, a small town near here. My parents are Mark and Dixie. They're here tonight to support me. Thank you, Mom and Dad. My dad has farmed his entire life, just re- retired a couple years ago. My mom worked at the bank in Rhinebeck for many years. I have one older brother, Todd. The greatest gift my parents ever gave me was they took me to church, where I learned about and developed a deep faith. And more than that, they demonstrated to me and to my brother what it looks like to be a follower of Christ in the way they parented us and by how they interacted in the community. I grew up in an extremely safe environment in the little town of Rheinbeck. I was related to half the town because my grandparents are from Rheinbeck, so my aunts, uncles, cousins, second cousins, were all there. And so, if you wanted to cause trouble, it wasn't going to work, because there were eyes everywhere. So I lived with my happy family, with my two parents who loved each other very much. They loved my brother and me very much. And it was just a great place to grow up. And I just wanted to share with you a special memory from my childhood that um, involves my faith path. Well, when I was young, my mom was the church secretary at our church in Rhinebeck. We went to the Methodist church in town. My parents still go there. And my mom would type the bulletin, every week for the Sunday service. And you did it on a typewriter back then. And so she'd take that copy of the bulletin into the church on Saturday mornings, and I would accompany her, and she would have to copy it on this mimeograph machine. It was some machine she was always in there fighting with. So I would choose to take off and look around the church. And so I'm age probably five, six, seven at this point, and I remember the church felt so different on Saturday morning versus Sunday morning. There was nobody there. And so I remember one Saturday morning I was looking around and I I peeked open through the heavy green doors we had that led into the sanctuary, and I walked in and it was dark because it was Saturday morning. Nobody was there. The only light that came in was from the stained glass windows on either side of the church, and they're so cool because, you know, they depict different stories um, of Jesus, different symbols of Christianity, and just looks really cool. And then I looked forward and at the front of our church is a large stained glass cross. Same thing. Light was coming through there and it was just so beautiful and so majestic. And I remember thinking, wow, this place is really special. And then I walked up the aisle to the altar. And again, I'm a little kid, so the altar seemed really large to me at that point in time. And on the front of our altar in our church in Rheinbeck is a sculpture of the Last Supper. And I remember looking at that sculpture, I knew who Jesus was. I I don't really remember if I knew the story of the Last Supper at that point in time, but I could see the emotion on the faces of Jesus and the other people in the picture, his disciples, and I just knew there was something really deep and something really special going on within that picture. And as I stood there, I just kind of got goosebumps. And I just kind of got this feeling, and I know now that that was the Holy Spirit, and that was the beginning of my faith walk. That was the beginning of God starting to speak to me. I'll never forget it. So the years passed. Um, I grew up in Rhinebeck, like I said. We went to Sunday school, we went to church every Sunday. One hour Sunday school, one hour church. That's how we did things, and it was great. And one day, in about fourth grade, our Sunday school teacher presented to us the idea of going to a one-day Bible camp here in Cedar Falls at Riverview Conference Center. And I said, that sounds great, sign me up. So a couple friends and I went over for the day. our Sunday school teacher dropped us off, and it was just an amazing day. We had high school counselors who took us around for the day, and, um, you know, we played games, we did crafts, had lunch, typical Bible or Bible school things, Bible camp things. And then that evening I was excited because we were going to have a campfire. And so the campfire was burning that night. It was this picturesque summer evening. It was just beautiful. The wind wasn't blowing just gorgeous. The sun was coming down, someone was playing guitar, we were singing songs and looking at the fire, and it just felt so cool. And all of a sudden, one of the counselors said, okay, if anybody's ready to give their heart to Jesus, come forward and we'll pray with you. And I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute, give my heart to Jesus. First of all, I don't feel comfortable going up there to do that. And also, I've gone to Sunday school and church my whole life. I know Jesus, so why do I need to ask Jesus into my heart? So that was really out of my comfort zone and and kind of a foreign concept to me. But as I stood there in the crowd that night and I watched other kids do that, watched the fire, sang the songs, this incredible feeling came over me, and more intense than it did the day when I was five or six at my church. It was this incredible feeling of the Holy Spirit just just washed over me and washed within me. And it's a feeling that I've only had several times in my life, but that was it. That was when Jesus came into my heart. And Jesus and I took care of a lot of business that day between the two of us. And that was the day I became a lifelong follower of Christ. So I grew up and graduated from high school in Rhinebeck. And like I said, I grew up with lots of family around, and they had raised me all kinds of family, extended family, my parents, my brother, and it was time to graduate, move on to college. And this was when God would show me and he would provide people, other people, in my life to act as his hands and feet to me. And this started when I decided to go to Luther College. I don't know if you've ever been on campus at Luther, but it's gorgeous, which is probably the reason I chose to go there. But it was also a church that was affiliated with the Lutheran um, religion. And so the cool thing about that is, you know, we had a chapel in the middle of campus. We were uh, suggested to go to chapel on Wednesdays. And, of course, church on Sundays didn't always do that, but I knew it was there. Um, And then we also had to take religion courses. They were required, and I tell you, that was so cool. It was nothing I probably would have done on my own, but because we were required to do that, I got to take classes that made me really think about my faith in a different way and go a lot deeper. That was pretty cool. The other great thing that happened at Luther College was I met my husband there. It was the second week. We met the second week of freshman year. We actually met on a double date. We were with the other person. But as I sat on that date, I remember looking across the table and going, wow, that guy's pretty cool. He was smiley he never stopped smiling in fact that was his nickname in college smiley and he was so funny never stopped talking and if any of you know my husband he still never stops talking to this day (laughs) and also he is the most positive person i've ever met he was then and he is now and that is such a great gift to me and god knew i would need him I would need our strong bond that we created the second week of our freshman year back in September of 1987. Because in February of that year, my grandma took a turn for the worse. She had suffered from an illness for about seven years, took a turn for the worse. One day in February, I walked back from class, got to my dorm room, Aaron was there. My dad had called him and asked if he could bring me to Waterloo. My grandma was failing and she was ready to make her journey to heaven. And Aaron was 18 years old, had probably better plans uh, on the weekend, something he'd rather be doing, but he took me. He brought me to Waterloo, and as God's timing would have it, um, we didn't get there in time. Grandma had already moved on to heaven, which I couldn't have handled at that point in time. I couldn't have watched her um, take that journey, so that was a gift. But um, Aaron stayed with me for days, got me through the funeral, and when I got back to Luther, he was my support system when I was grieving. And I'll never forget that. We also had another, Aaron and I, a very profound thing happen when we were at college. Right before classes started our junior year, Aaron was involved in a fire. It was pretty bad, and he almost lost his life in that fire. And I don't know if any of you have ever seen or have any experience with being a burn victim or watching someone wade through that. That is a very, very painful, um, recovery. So we went through some pretty heavy stuff in college, and so it was just natural that uh, we remained together. We decided to get married, and we were married um, shortly after we graduated, and we've been together ever since. And the cool thing was we got to get married in the church where I first felt the closeness of Christ, and that's a real gift. So 27 years have gone by since we've been married, and like every other married couple— we've experienced extreme highs and extreme lows but through it all Jesus Christ our lord and savior had carried us has carried us through it all and blessed us with some of the most incredible people to journey right along with us major happiness in our lives is the birth of our three boys there's nothing like that and to be able to assist god in the miracle of bringing children into this world is beyond words and i'm here to tell you that love is so deep and your parents love you so fiercely. It's a love you won't know until you're a parent yourself. And so when they want to know where you're at and what you're up to and they get in your business, give them some slack because they just love you so, so very much. Um, And when I became a parent, I realized, wow, so that's how you love children. I wonder how that love compares to the love that our father has for us. It's got to be so much bigger than I ever gave him credit for. So in contrast... Um, We've also experienced our share of heartache, and that's just part of life. And we know that because in Isaiah 43, 2, the Bible says, when you you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So it doesn't say if, it says when. And that's part of life. We're all going to walk through tough times. And what are you gonna do in those tough times? What we've identified is God is always there to help us. So I'm gonna tell you about one more experience that um, is one of profound sadness, but it's also one that demonstrates God's incredible blessing and provision. So it starts back in 2004 when our middle son, Drew, started kindergarten. And he came home and said, my new best friend is Ben. And he and Ben became friends from the start. Ben and his family went to our church at Naz and um, I knew that Ben's mom had recently passed away from breast cancer and that Ben was living with his sister, Emma, who was just a a couple years older than him, so two little kids, and their dad, Brad, was raising them. The other unique part of the story is that right when um, their mom was making her journey to heaven, um, Brad, their dad, realized he also. Was suffering from cancer. And at this point, the doctors gave him just a couple years to live. So, after watching um, all of that unfold, just what we knew through the church, um, they were busy being a family. They were busy making memories, you know, taking trips and doing all the things that they could possibly do in the couple, two, three years that they gave Brad to live. And so, we just kind of, you know, from a distance, watched that. Well, as time went on, the doctors were wrong. And Brad um, continued to outlive the, the years that they gave him. And so they weren't great years. He chose not to really receive much treatment. So he suffered a lot. But he continued to live and live and live until um, the boys were in seventh grade. And so um, those during those years, though, it was unique because you know he was sick, he was grieving the loss of his wife, and he kind of chose to pull back from friends and from from just really doing anything within the community. And so I kind of um, eked my way into his life a little bit. I made sure that um, he had somebody he knew he could talk to, somebody who would ask questions about the kids and, and just take an interest in them. And I, I had a genuine interest. He and um, you know his son and my son were best friends and spent a lot of time together. So I um, started to know them pretty well. Well, by the spring of 2012, the boys were in seventh grade. Brad's health had taken a turn for the worse. And I remember specifically, I'll never forget, I was walking into Kohl's one day and my phone rings, it's Brad, hey Brad, what's up? Um, Christy, just wanna let you know, I just contacted hospice and I'm gonna start working with them and they, we needed a phone number, gave them your number, but I told them, don't bother her. But they had to have a number, so just let you know, I gave them their number, but it won't mean anything, don't worry about it. But I'm thinking, Oh my word. My friend just made a decision on his own to call hospice. That's a tough call to make because you know hospice is where you go for end of life care. That's it. There's you're out of options. And so, Brad, are you okay? What's going on? And no, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I'll be fine. Well, he wasn't fine. Of course he wasn't fine. And this is the part where God was pulling me off the bench. I didn't see this coming. But he said christy i'm putting you in the game you're up to bat and if you recall in the bible there are many 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 times where god uses goofballs and screw-ups to accomplish what he needs to get done on earth yeah i'm one of those i take no credit i was just there and trying to follow what he would have me do so we continued on we met with hospice we made plans um brad and i and the social workers and you know, talked about how things were going to progress, and all the while, I'm in complete denial. I'm thinking, he's not going to die. I mean, he's my friend. This isn't really happening. Well, time went on, um, by the 4th of July, so that happened in the spring, by the 4th of July, his health had really deteriorated, and it was time. It was time to enter the hospice house, which is where he was going to spend his last days. And so he and I made that decision together, extremely profound decision to make with a friend and then I had to tell his kids um, Where their dad was headed And I'll never forget that I'll just never forget the look on their faces and the words we shared and um, It's a pretty big deal So after that that was in July he got some treatment got some care at hospice He actually rallied and this went on for about a month and so we spent our days that summer, you know, they were still young kids, so we'd go visit Brad at hospice for a little while during the day, and then we'd do all the things that kids do in the summertime and try to have fun, try to, try to make their as, lives as comfortable as we can while they're experiencing this trauma. So August 6th was like any other day. Um, Brad was at the hospice house, and I had Ben and Em in the car with me. I had Drew in the car with me. I was going to drop Ben and Emma off at the hospice house, and Drew and I were going to head to an orthodontist appointment and come back to the hospice house. So Ben and Emma got out of the car. Drew and I take off down the street, and I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't see. I couldn't think. I couldn't breathe. And by some, by the grace of God, I made it into that doctor's office where they called 911 and the emergency... People came to take care of me. I I honestly thought I was dying. Well, what they told me was I was having a major panic attack. And I don't know if any of you have ever suffered from panic attacks. They are debilitating. They're scary. They're the worst thing you'll ever go through. So I went home that day to rest. I hadn't seen Brad yet that day. Rested all day. Aaron checked on me all the time. My husband's amazing. And... um, Later that night, I said, Aaron, I'd really like to go see Brad. And against his wishes, we went over there and walked in. And Brad was lying there. Um, you know, the morphine makes you pretty, pretty uh, unresponsive, so he was lying on the bed. But I got to see him, and, and the nurse was going to turn him for the evening, and we were going to go home after that. And we thought, let's just wait, let's, let's get, the, get him turned, and then we'll, we'll say goodbye and, and head home. So we went in the other room. Well, he was being turned like we had done so many times before, and as we sat there, this angel of a nurse came in and said, if there's anybody you want to be here, um, you might want to give them a call, because it's time. It's time. After all these years of journeying with this family, of, of going to hospice and rallying, and." I couldn't believe it, I'm still in denial. So okay, um, we head back in the room and there's my friend. And Brad's on the bed and there's another friend over by the, the window, Aaron was behind me and Brad is now sitting on the bed and his eyes are open. And I thought, okay, again, Christy, you're up to bat. All right, so I sat on the bed and I took his hand and his eyes were open and he was looking in my eyes and he was trying to tell me something. And I'm never gonna know what those, what he was trying to tell me until I see him again in heaven. But I like to think that he was trying to explain to me the visions he was starting to see and what he was starting to see in his glimpses of heaven. And then as he looked into my eyes, He took his last breath and there I was holding his hand and he was gone and I just remember thinking, okay, so my friend was looking me in the eye and an instant later he was looking at our Lord and Savior and that just, the thought of that just blew me away. I didn't feel worthy of that to be honest yet thankful that I could share such an intimate time with him. And so that was August, and school started shortly after that. You know, Ben and Emma were doing great. They had a guardian who came in and took care of them. They had started school. Um, You know, my kids were back in school. Life went on as as best we could. And one day in October, early October, I was taking a shower at home, getting ready for the day. And again, (gasps) boom! and here it came. This panic attack that I have lived so in fear of since it happened that summer, here it came. And you guys, again, I just thought that was it. I I thought I was dying. It's the worst thing. So this started a months-long, maybe years-long journey of panic attacks. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't think, I couldn't drive, and I had to rely on friends and family. My sweet mom spent almost every day with me for a month. My friends would take me places. They were so understanding. I think they thought I was a little nuts sometimes. I don't know, but here's the thing. My mind, my body, and my spirit had just had enough. I thought I was holding it together. I thought journeying through all of this with my friend was going pretty well. But I was done. It was just time for me to take a break. And so there's so many people help me, counselors, friends, doctors. Again, my husband was extremely amazing, and he just said, you know, whatever you need, take your time. But here's the other piece. More than the physical attack and what was happening to my body, there was something else going on. Let me read 1 Peter 5.8. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You guys, that was happening. I felt a spiritual attack like I've never, ever experienced in my life, and I pray to God I'll never feel it again. And just as strong as I could feel the Holy Spirit those times in my life when I described that to you, there was seriously some other force around me that I just needed to shake off. And so I would walk around my house with my Bible, I would recite scripture, and sometimes I would just tell Satan to leave me alone, you're not going to have me, quit chasing me, because he loved my confusion, he loved my anxiety. He loved that I was hopeless, that I didn't understand. He loved every minute of that, he wanted to get me, but he didn't. He didn't, and he won't. So what have I learned in this half century that I've been on this planet? Half century. One of the big things is, you guys, we need each other. First Thessalonians 5, eight. therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. We need people in our corner, we need family, we need friends, we need people who will build us up in the good times and encourage us in the bad times. Remember how I told you that you can find me most mornings out at the gym? Guys, those are my support. There's some of them here tonight to support me. We're a, we're a tight group. We work out to physically feel better and to stay healthy, but man, are we great friends. They're my therapy. I can tell them anything. They see me at my worst, love me at my worst, and, and I them. I love doing life with them. Find a group like that. They're amazing, and I'm so blessed. And here's the thing. Our group's tight, and we need it. Because this summer, a horrible thing happened, and one of the sweet gals in our group was killed tragically in a car accident. And that's tough. But we have each other, and we're still working on that. We're still working through that. And when one, one of us is having a bad day, We make sure she's okay, no matter what that takes. And here's the thing, you need to be open to God's call. And it doesn't take much to be there for a friend. I tell you, when I was going through all that anxiety, when I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, you know what a friend did for me? She came over and she sat at the end of my bed just so I could sleep. There's no special skill required to be a friend, to be there for somebody. I once took a pan of scotcharoos to my friend when her father in law was dying. She goes, Christy, I'll never forget it. She's told me this half a dozen times. It was nothing, you guys. It was a pan of scotcharoos. But it speaks volumes when you show up. Proverbs 3 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And so here I stand tonight, and I'm just excited to see where the path leads me next. Thanks. Will you pray with me? Oh, my mic on. Will you pray with me before the uh, band decides to play, or will play? Um, Dear Jesus, thank you for the way you are at work in all of our lives, there isn't a single situation that we've experienced that you haven't been there to help us. We're grateful for your provision and guidance. We're also beyond thankful for the people you've placed in our lives to celebrate with us in the good times and console us in the bad times. Help us, Lord, to be open to your call in our lives and let us be willing to assist you in any way possible. In your holy, precious name we pray. Amen.